So it's really good to be back. Um, as, uh, as, as you might know, if, if, if this is your first Sunday with us, um, you might not know, but uh, our family has been on vacation the last several weeks. So this is, this is my first time preaching after being away from the pulpit for four weeks. Um, I, I think I still remember how to preach. Let's find out. <laughs> um, so I, I do have a couple of stories from our vacation. And trust me, these do, I am going to come around to the, the passage. So this isn't just Rick sharing fishing stories. But on that note, I'd like to share a fishing story with you. <laughs> um, so we, uh, my, my dad and I spent a couple of days, uh, we flew into Spokane, Washington, and, and uh, spent a couple of days fishing there in the Columbia Mountains where the Columbia River flows. And I'd never uh, fished a, a river that big before. It was a huge river. And it was just an absolute gorgeous, quiet part of the country. The, the, the river was very wide and expansive. Uh, the, the mountains were just rolling and green. Everything was so calm there. Uh, I just live a block over that way, which means I hear airplanes flying over every 90 seconds or so. Uh, that did not happen in, uh, near the Canadian border up there in Washington. It was just this serene, beautiful place. Uh, and we would pull these, these beautiful fish out of the river, these, and they were huge. They were like this big. Um, no. We'd pull these rainbow trout out of the river. And I have to say that like, it might be weird to call a fish beautiful, but rainbow trout are among the most beautiful of God's creation, I think. They're just these speckled, literally rainbowed creatures that are shining, and they smile at you. It's just great. It's like they're so happy to have been caught. And it's in moments like that where it just feels like you're on the cusp of heaven. You know, it's like, as C.S. Lewis says, it feels like one of those thin places, right? Where, like, at any minute, you're going to turn around and be like, oh, there's the Lord Jesus. Like, this is a heavenly moment. So that was one kind of part of our vacation. Another part of our vacation, we spent uh, with Molly's folks up in Lake Country um, in, in northern Minnesota. And lots of fun adventures there with the kids and all the family. It, it was a little challenging, though, because this year, uh, there were a couple family members who have some pretty serious health diagnoses. And it was a challenge um, because as, as we wrestled with this as a family, and Molly more so than I, obviously, um, and we were, we were confronted with the tragedy of living in these human bodies and the frailty that we all have. And I feel like these two experiences kind of typify the human experience, right? Like all of us have these, these moments, at least I hope, that we have these moments either in nature or, or in some other environment or maybe reading good poetry or going to a, a beautiful concert or something where it's like this transcendent moment when we're uh, encountering this, this divine beauty. But then in the blink of an eye, we realize just how fragile it all is and how delicate it is and how it can, it can end very, very quickly. So that takes us to our reading from Romans. Uh, so please do turn there in your bulletins if you haven't yet. But in this passage, Paul, he, he brings these two themes uh, to the surface. He talks about suffering, and then he also talks about glory. And he says these things shouldn't be compared to one another, but then he, he continues to talk about them. And we'll, we'll talk in, in a little bit about what he might mean by that. But throughout this passage, we hear about suffering and glory, pain, and new life. He uses words like bondage and freedom. He talks about patience, and he talks about hope. And in each of these pairings, and throughout this passage, there's this tension that comes about it, and it's very uncomfortable. As I've been thinking about this passage, it's like, this almost to me feels like an Advent passage, 
which if you're, if you're new to the Anglican world, Advent is that, that moment in which we focus on the already and not yet, kind of the Jesus has come, but not all the promises are fulfilled yet. And so how does the Christian live in the midst of that? And this passage feels like it belongs in Advent. Um, yeah, it, it feels very much like, a, like we're hearing echoes of Advent. But Paul talks about this undeniable reality of suffering, but then he also talks about this internal longing and I don't think you need to be a Christian to feel this longing. I think every human being has this longing for true beauty, for true justice, for an eradication of evil. Now, I would also say the Christian has the answer to all of that, but this is a, a human experience that we all have. So let's move through this passage. We're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time talking about creation, uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, kind of how, how we fit into the puzzle here. And I hope that as we look through this, that your faith may increase, that your faith will increase with the knowledge that Jesus is going to come back and make all things new. So this experience of suffering and glory, it's not just a human experience. Paul tells us that this is the experience of creation as well. There's, there's this inextricable link between humanity and creation. And this stems from the garden, right? Because we were the, the pinnacle of creation. And God places, he pulls us out from the dust and places his spirit within us. And then, so we're, we're kind of this uh, made from the matter of this world, but also uh, have the breath of God in us. We bear his image and we are stewards of this world. So we're going to talk about creation's past, creation's future, and then creation's present. So the past the future, and the present. So first, the past. In verse 20, Paul says that creation was subjected to futility. Now, what does that mean? Well, he's referring to that initial judgment of God after Adam's disobedience. So remember I said that creation and humanity are linked so that when creation is disobedient against God, when, when Adam rebels against God, our domain suffers as well. Our domain is also cursed. The, the, the world in which we were told to steward and bring order to falls into disorder because of our rebellion. I lost my point here. This is what happens when I, I, I go off my script here. So our disobedience, um, so the Bible says that as a result of this, it was subjected, the creation was subjected to fertility. The ground was cursed. It began to produce thorns and thistles, and our bodies also were changed, so that to work is toil. And then to bring new life into this world, to give birth, is also a painful experience. And these are results of the fall. So futility, it's, what does that word mean? It, it means emptiness. It means purposelessness. It means transitoriness. You know, scientifically, we could say that the entire universe is losing inertia, right? That second law of thermodynamics, that, that all energy is, is slowly dissipating uh, away from the universe. Spiritually, we would say that nature itself is enslaved to corruption and decay. And we feel that, don't we? One scholar says, Ours is a life lived imprisoned in imprisoned time and space, with no ultimate reference point to either God or eternity. So how's that for a happy starting point to this message, right? Okay, <laughs> no reference point to God or eternity. Well, let's now talk, we've talked about the past, let's now talk about creation's future. So in verse 21, Paul says that there will be a day in which creation itself 
will be set free from this bondage of corruption, everything that we've just been talking about. And it will then obtain the freedom of glory. So what does that mean, the freedom of glory? Well, the Old Testament prophets, they would use this beautiful uh, poetic language to describe this ultimate transformation that would happen when God made all things new. They would say things like the desert will blossom into a beautiful garden. They would say that the, the scary animals will be made calm now. And all those thorns and thistles will disappear. There'll be no more. And then the New Testament is obviously very consistent with this as well. Jesus, he talks about new life, new birth, right? And Paul, he speaks uh, elsewhere of, of things like rebuilding and the, and the restoration of all things. And then the Apostle John talks about the new heaven and the new earth in which God himself will dwell with his people face to face. The glory of God is going to reorder, remake, and restore the entire cosmos. Now, one scholar I read said um, that it's, it's kind of foolish for us to spend time speculating as to what, how, how this, the, the uh, spiritual world and the material world will be remade and, and what exactly will that look like. He sort of said that that would be like a, a futile sort of exercise. And I totally disagree with that because I absolutely love like trying to stretch our imaginations and to consider what that could actually look like. Like what if the laws of space and time are rewritten, rewritten in a way to where we could explore the moons of Jupiter in the blink of an eye? Like how crazy would that be? Like what is it going to look like when our own bodies are remade and restored so that we don't have uh, these, these sinful thoughts that streak across our minds? We don't have these addi- uh, uh, addictions that imprison us. We will actually be able to do things with pure motives all over again. Like how beautiful would that be? Our world won't be riddled with, with crime anymore. It'd be absolutely wonderful, this entire new creation. So we've talked about the, the imprisonment, the liberation, but what now about creation's present? Paul talks about in verse 22, he says, all of creation is groaning. In other words, there's this audible sound of the brokenness of creation now, he's clearly personifying creation, but, but this is a reality, right, where we, we hear the, the trauma of earthquakes or uh, forest fires or hurricanes or, you know, droughts and whatnot. Now, to be clear, Paul is not talking about a groaning that is like a, a groan of despair or a groan of giving up. No, he's talking, it, it is a form of pain, but it's a different kind of pain that Paul is talking about here. And he clarifies because he says that the pain that creation is expressing is like the pain of childbirth. So uh, uh, one form of pain is like hitting your head on something or uh, getting stung by a bee or something, you know. But the pain of childbirth is different because the pain of childbirth is the, and I've never given birth, so I'm speaking on uh, what others have told me. Um, but the pain of childbirth is an assurance that something new is about to come. When that pain is not there, you actually feel like there's a problem. But when that pain is there, you know that there is an absolute new reality that's about to come into the world. And then when you hold that new reality, those pains, it doesn't, you don't completely forget them. That's my understanding, at least. But you recognize this was worth it. I get to experience this complete new reality now that that changes my identity, that changes the entire outlook on this world, a new emerging reality. So that's the present posture of this creation. 
So when we see this creation like uh, breaking down around us, we, brothers and sisters, should be stirred into this hope that God is going to be making new, all things new, that there's going to be a new reality that comes in. Because what we've been told when we, when we feel these things, or what we, I should say that when we experience this brokenness, when we see these things in the world, these injustices of both creation and also of mankind, there's a part that's within us that says this isn't right. Surely there's something that's coming after this. And I think that is our divine, um, I think that's the Holy Spirit in us, pointing us to these realities that we're about to experience. So how do we live in this tension, this already and not yet tension, this, this suffering on one side, but then also these promises of, of glory and redemption on the other. Well, Paul says that we too groan, and I've alluded to that quite a bit already. Our bodies are fragile. We, we groan because of that. But we also groan because we behave in ways that we ourselves don't want to behave like. We see our own moral failings as well. And so there's an inward groaning that takes place. And some of you have jobs and careers where... where uh, you, you witness this um, on a very regular daily basis. You're, you're a part of um, systems that are either broken or, or maybe it's, it's your role to help bring some kind of healing to those situations. And what you're doing in those moments is you're participating in the groaning of this world. And you're pointing people to greater truth and beauty and realities and promises. But for the Christian, when we experience this kind of groaning, this, this brokenness of creation and in our own selves, for the Christian, this groaning is very different. You see, in the person of Jesus Christ, we know that God has intervened, that he has stepped into this broken creation, that he's not put off by it, but he actually leans forward and steps into it. In Jesus Christ, heaven comes down to earth. In Jesus Christ, all of these promises of glory and beauty and perfection step back from those, it's not just those future realities, but in Jesus, these realities step back into the here and now, and we're able to, to see them. We're able to get a glimpse of what the future is going to look like in Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the beautiful one, the wise one. And so when he walks around this world, he, he says, I'm going to make all things new, and guess what? Here's a taste of it. Your sins are forgiven. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to raise this person from the dead. This is what Jesus does over and over and over again. And it's a foretaste it's of, of what's to come for all of us. It's why the Christian, we suffer, but not without hope. Because we've seen Jesus, and we know the promises that he's given us. It's a promise of this future glory that we're all going to experience. But that's not all. After his death and his resurrection, Jesus ascends up into heaven, and then he pours out upon his people the Holy Spirit. And here, Paul, in verse 23, he calls the Spirit the first fruits. The first fruits. That is, that the same Spirit that animates Jesus, that empowers Jesus, that guides Jesus, is now here in this room with us at work, speaking to us through the Holy Scriptures, touching our souls through the ministry of the table, encouraging us through the word of a friend. Convicting us through the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is at work here in our midst, purifying us, informing us more into the presence, or more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We have the first fruits of creation. That same spirit that animated Jesus is now within us as well. And so, yes, we suffer and we groan, but we do so with Jesus Christ. And he is the one who says, put this upon me. Give me your burdens. 
Give me your troubles. I want to carry that for you. So he gives us spiritual hope. Spiritual hope that pierces through the pain and assures us of glory. You know, I was struck uh, just this morning in a fresh way of our opening college of purity is what, is what it's called. And we pray this every single Sunday. Listen to this prayer. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. In the new creation, that prayer will be fulfilled. Our hearts will be totally purified. We'll be able to have perfect relationship with God, with one another, and in this creation. And our imaginations can't even perceive what that's actually going to look like. I'm so excited for that day. So excited for that day. So what burdens do you carry? What aches are with you right now? In what sort of ways are you yourself groaning? Either maybe on account of a sin or something that you're struggling with, or maybe because of someone else in your life or a community that you're a part of, or, or just when you look out on this creation and you see the brokenness of it. What sort of burdens do you carry? Well, friends, you can... You can place those at the foot of the cross. You can bring those to Jesus. Because God sees your pain. He hears your cries. And it doesn't, I don't mean to imply that he takes that all away, that it all goes away right now immediately. But what I do mean to say is that he is with us in these moments. And he gives us his spirit, promising us that there will be a day in which all of this will be taken away. The pain of this present world will fade. And this entire creation will be saturated with the beauty of his glory. Amen. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, this is a broken world, Lord. And we are reminded of that so often in so many different ways. We see the brokenness around us and also within us. So Lord, I thank you for this community, Lord. I thank you that you did not leave us alone uh, in the midst of all of our troubles, Lord, but that you stepped in and that you walked among us, Lord, that you paid for sin upon the cross, and in your resurrection, you promised us, you opened up the door to new life, and you promised that we ourselves will experience that with you one day, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to wait with eagerness and patience for the restoration of all things, that day in which you will remake this entire creation. And Lord, help us to be ambassadors of this message. Lord, help us to tell those around us that, that hope is not lost, that hope is in you. Lord, we ask all of this in your name and for your glory. Amen.